0: Welcome to Smarty Pants, the podcast of the American Scholar magazine, sponsored by Phi Beta Kappa. I'm your host, Stephanie Bastak, and I'm on vacation. This week's episode gives a pretty unsubtle hint about where I'm going. Guess correctly, and I'll send you a pack of Smarty Pants stickers and a collection of David Lehman's Best American Poetry Series. So shoot me an email with your mailing address to podcast at theamericanscholar.org that's also spelled out in the show notes. And if you haven't done so already, rate us and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Especially if you listen on Spotify, please rate us. We were pretty late to the party and I don't think we have any ratings, so please rate us. It helps others find the show and we really appreciate it. With no further ado, here is your hint. In 1889, a group of Jewish families fleeing Russian pogroms arrived in Argentina, hoping for a new life, or at least a safe place to reside for a while before making their way to Israel. Moisesville, the town they founded some 400 miles from Buenos Aires, was one of the first Jewish agricultural communities in Argentina, and over the next 50 years would come to be called the Jerusalem of South America, replete with theaters, libraries, and two synagogues. But this sunny story of life in the New World has a dark underside, as Argentinian journalist Javier Sinai learned one day upon reading a 1947 Yiddish newspaper article written by his own grandfather. The article detailed 22 murders of Jewish colonists in swift succession, all in the last decade of the 19th century. Why these people were killed and what it says about the complex history of this once grand town is the subject of Sinai's new book, The Murders of Moises Ville, translated from the Spanish by Robert Kroll. Javier Sinai joins us to talk about how a story from 100 years ago changed the way that he saw his country and his own relationship to Judaism. Thanks for chatting with me, Javier.
1: Thank you for having me, Stephanie.
0: So I want to go back to the beginning for you, 2009, when your dad first sends you an email with the subject line, your great-grandfather. Now, I'm sure that as an investigative journalist, you get leads all the time, although not necessarily from your dad. So what was it that struck you about this 100-year-old set of murders from a newspaper whose language you couldn't even read at the time?
1: Yeah, yeah, that email, it was uh, really shocking to me because it opens some questions like, why was these people killed? What was these people doing here in Argentina? Why this gaucho became bandits and killed the immigrants? And maybe the more important was why my great grandfather has written about it. For me, it was like really interesting to go further and further trying to answer all those questions. And finally, it was a four year research.
0: I mean, do you think you answered all those questions in the end? <laughs> no.
1: no, 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 I think I haven't because there was a lot of myths and there was a lot of lack of judiciary archive. The papers from the court of those times have been lost. And there were some papers that also have been lost from the AMIA building, which was AMIA is the biggest community association of Jewish people in Buenos Aires, and it, the building suffered an, a terrorist attack in 1994, so some, some papers and some documents have been missed. So, no, I haven't answered all those questions, but as a, a woman I have interviewed said, different versions are not a problem, Indeed, they are like a, an advantage because they enrich the the story.
0: Well, so set the stage. I think the Argentina of eighteen eighty nine, the Argentina even of nineteen forty seven, looks really different from today. Yeah. So, what does Argentina look like at this point for that group of Jewish immigrants who arrived by boat?
1: So it was at eighteen eighty nine. Argentina was a a country like in the middle of a big development process. A lot of people was coming from abroad, a lot of immigration, because at that time the the United States has closed the, the entrance for the immigrants. So there was a lot of people from Europe that have chosen to come to the South. So there was people from mainly from Italy and Spain but also from Germany, Switzerland, uh, France and also the Russian Tsarist Empire and in the Tsarist Empire mostly Jewish people. So by nineteen oh oh I think it was like in Buenos Aires which is the capital city of Argentina 50% 50% of the population was immigrant, and by 1910, Argentina was one of the 10 richest countries in the world, uh, mainly because of its production So it was a, a time of, of a lot of opportunities here in the south. And as one Turkish friend of mine said, and and she has illuminated me. She said, the people who went to the South uh, should have been people very optimistic because going to the end of the world to start a new life, you have to be really optimistic. So I think all these people were willing to start something new, something big. And they, they have indeed, although there were a lot of dangers here.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, let's, let's talk about the murders, because I think it illuminates some of the the myths of Argentina. You know, I think of Argentina circa 1900. I think of gauchos, um, yeah. you know, just like running the pampas, like taking care of gows. Um, <laughs> but it seems like it wasn't all that pleasant. And there were a lot of conflicts and some of those conflicts ended in in bloodshed.
1: Yeah, you know the thing was that <laughs> there there was this gaucho pastoral image until maybe the eighteen sixties and by that time the liberal governments of the country started a process of modernization of the economic system of Argentina and that meant that gauchos who were nomad nomad people or who are at least very informal workers, they needed to be put in discipline. So they they need to stop going from one place to another. So they need to be put in one farm. And the liberal government started a campaign to bring here immigrants from Europe to put in the in the provinces, because there was a lot of space in the country with few people. So the gauchos who didn't want to accept that discipline, that new economic system they, they became outlaws and bandits and they went to live with the Boorigine people far away and sometimes they came back to the settlements to the agricultural settlements of the Europeans and they rob and kill they were fighting for their land and for a way of life that it doesn't exist anymore. So that, that was the clash between cultures, between cultures and between times, between the, the present at that day and the past.
0: Yeah, there's this really interesting passage where you talk about that collision and how when you dug into whether some of these murders that were documented in your great-grandfather's article even took place, it seemed like there was some doubt, like maybe some of them didn't. And a lot of it took on the character, as you said, of like a founding myth of a town.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of myth because, for example, Argentina has the sixth largest Jewish population in the world. The myth of origin we are told is really naive it's like uh, our ancestors escaped a uh, Russian Tsarist Empire where they suffered pogroms in the nineteenth century and they came here and they were uh, received with the open arms from all all the people who who were here but indeed this story is about killings and robberies, um, it's not well known here. My great grandfather was living in Moisesville in, in the 1890s when all these murders, uh, were committed and he, he wrote a memoir in 1947 when he was, uh, an old man, uh, and by that time there were no fact checkers, you know, so. He has written part of the myth because I think it was, by that time he was living in Buenos Aires, which is like uh, 400 miles from Moisesville. So there was no no chance to check some crimes and some stories. So there's a lot of myth because few people have investigated the, the really first steps of the Jewish Russian immigrant community here in Argentina.
0: Why do you think that is? Like why do people want to believe such a naive myth that they were just welcomed with open arms?
1: Because uh, there is some anti-semitism here in Argentina which which is like in silence. Although Argentina has received a lot of nazi leaders, it's not an, an anti-semitic country, but there is something like in the bottom of our culture. So I think the Jewish community here needed to to melt itself in the pot of all cultures here in Argentina. So the Jewish community needed and still need to tell a, a story about a happy coming and a happy development here. Because the true story of the crimes is not convenient for anyone, not convenient for the Jewish community and not convenient for the for Argentina in a broad sense, for Argentinian culture in a broad sense because the same as, as the states, Argentina is a country of immigrants. So the, the official story of our country is is like the melting pot, you know, is everyone is is welcome here from wherever they come.
0: Even if they're really not, yeah,
1: yeah that that's the origin of the knife stories, I think
0: I mean that makes a lot of sense, and I think you can't ignore the timing of your great grandfather's article either in nineteen forty seven after the horrors of the Holocaust had become known, and a lot of the descriptions that you had translated in the the full article are pretty gruesome. Do you think there's a connection there?
1: yeah. You know, in this book there is a a telling of one crime after another crime after another crime. So it's kind of a thriller book. So I think that the mystery here is not who is the murderer but why my great-grandfather wrote his article 50 years later. That was a mystery for me. My theory is that by that time, as you said, by 1947, when all the suffering of the Jewish people in Europe uh, was uh, something like a horror show in the news and in the in the tellings of the people, I think that that opened the door to to tell stories about the Jewish people in general. So, conscious or unconscious, I think my great grandfather thought, oh, I can add something about Jewish being murdered that nobody knows. So he, he wrote his article, which is, by the way, a very long article, it's about 20 pages. So I think it was like a, the correct time to, to take this story to, to light to the public, to the audience.
0: So the subtitle of your book is The Rise and Fall of the Jerusalem of South America. And when you visited in the present, we're very obviously in the fall part of it. You and others describe the town as kind of an open-air museum. Yeah. Do you think Moisesville is kind of a metaphor for the Jewish community in Argentina in that, like, it started as this group of hard scrabble immigrants and then became this like really thriving community with a 400 seat theater and like 30,000 books and a lot of synagogues. And then, you know, like now you write that the total population is less than half what the Jewish population was at its height when 5000 Jews comprised 90 yeah. percent of its population.
1: Well, I would say that the Jewish community here in Argentina is still big but it's especially big in the big cities like Buenos Aires and a few others. I have read that Argentina was the only country in the world where Jewish communities started in the fields and with agricultural work. And I think Moisesville, it's a metaphor of that because there are no more uh, agricultural work Jew- from from Jewish people now so there were uh, like 15 agricultural settlements from Jewish people uh, on the country and some of them have disappeared and some of them like Moisesville are little towns for example Moisesville population today is maybe 200 only are Jewish people and most of them are elderly people they have a say that it's in spanish is uh, cosechamos trigo y sembramos doctores sorry because i i don't know exactly how to say it but is it something they,
0: like we planted wheat but we ended up with yeah.
1: doctors yeah yeah that's it so the meaning is our sons went away to the cities to study at universities And they have left the the agricultural work, which was a big ideal for the immigrants who came here because they wanted, they have in mind, what what they have in mind was something like a biblical adventure about living like the old Jews from the Bible in contact with the land and with the corn and, you know, the animals, but one generation after that they were all in the universities becoming doctors so moisesville it was known as the jerusalem of south america by the 1920s and 1930s it, it was rise and fall because today is, as you say it's a museum of the open air so it's a metaphor of something i don't know exactly what but it has a great symbolic value.
0: I wanna ask you more about how this experience has changed your own relationship to your family and to your own Jewishness because you didn't know Yiddish when you started. Yeah. tried to learn, you know. Is your experience, I guess, kind of representative of the modern Jewish Argentinian experience? And if so, you know, like, How has your relationship to that changed?
1: Yeah, Yiddish was really difficult, and I haven't learned a lot to say I I can speak Yiddish. No, I can read some Yiddish. I can filter some texts, and for those texts that were uh, useful, I took them to a woman who translated them for me. Who was the daughter of two Holocaust survivors? That was quite symbolic because my great grandfather was a, a journalist and a writer in Yiddish, and his father, which is my great-great grandfather, was a rabbi. My grandfather was active in the Jewish community, although he, he spoke in Spanish. And my father, at least he did his bar mitzvah, you know, at 13 years old. And me, myself, I haven't done any bar mitzvah. I I don't speak Yiddish nor Hebrew. I haven't received a Jewish uh, education. So it's like generation after generation, we have lost our religiousness, like some old clothes from Russia. So... I have found again my Jewishness through this research through this book. I have always known that I was a Jewish and i was my mother is also a Jewish from a old Jewish family. so what kind of Jewish am I? That was the question. you know there are a lot of Jewish identities, and I think my Jewishness is a uh, is about culture it's not about religious because i i am not religious at all so what does that mean i am still trying to find out but you know in amherst massachusetts there is something which is called the yiddish book center and it was uh, created by a man whose name is Aaron lansky uh, he was uh, like 20 years old when he started getting books in yiddish that all people throw away And he said that for him, being Jewish was that when a book fell to the floor, he picked the book and give a kiss. So it was maximum respect for the books. And maybe I am that kind of Jew.
0: So what's your hope for this book in the end? You know, obviously I'm reading the English translation, but for the Spanish one in Argentina, what do you hope readers come away with?
1: You know, there is something in Yiddish which is called the Golden Arcade, which means uh, the golden chain, and is about the, the memory of the generations, like a chain of memory. So the Jewish people in Argentina are very proud of some writers from the 60s or from the 40s, but i think we don't know much about ourselves as jewish argentinian people back to the origins so i wanted to contribute to that golden age, to that uh, chain of memory and maybe do do like something to to get back our ancestors because 1890 was like a really interesting uh, time. And it was a time interesting to the Jewish people here and to the, to the country in a, in a broad way. And it's a time that we are not very used to go back and investigate. So I wanted to put, you know, like my little contribution to look back to our ancestors and as a mixed identity in Argentina. Not only Jews, but as a country of uh, native people, immigrant people, and all mixes possible.
0: You can find a link to Javier Sinai's new book, The Murders of Moises Ville*, on our episode page. We'll be back next week. Till then, take care and stay sharp.